0: The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. Your dial is currently tuned into Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Raleigh. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Jurado, the Public Affairs Director here at WKNC and host of Eye on the Triangle. We've got an election special for today's episode. In anticipation for the upcoming local election, WKNC content creator Owen Martin has interviewed candidates running in the Raleigh City Council at Large race. The candidates interviewed are Joshua Bradley, Jonathan Melton, James Bledsoe, and Anne Franklin. This episode has been segmented to organize these interviews. Our first segment is getting to know the candidates. Candidates will speak on their history within the area and backgrounds. Hope y'all enjoy.
1: Welcome back to WKNC 88.1 FM, HD1 Raleigh. I'm your host, Her Majesty, and today we have the WKNC election special for the at-large seat for Raleigh City Council. I sat down with four of the people running for one of the at-large seats, um, James Bledsoe, Joshua Bradley, Jonathan Melton, and Anne Franklin. I originally set out with the intention to interview Joshua Bradley, and then I was reminded of my legal obligation to reach out to all the other people running. Um, and these are the people that reached back and were able to schedule something with me. There are two seats on the city council for at-large members, and in the election, you're able to vote for two. Um, Without further ado, here are the candidates, a little bit about their core values, how they came to Raleigh, and just, you know, some all-arounders, as well as some of these questions I may not have um, answers from all of the candidates as it was kind of an evolving process as I got to know each of them and had different ideas of what I wanted to ask them.
2: Uh, Hey everybody, Uh, my name is Josh Bradley. I'm running for city council at large. Um, I am uh, a member of the Socialist Party USA. I'm a member of the North Carolina Green Party. and have uh, also joined the DSA Um, and right now those are my endorsements. Uh, We have applied for a lot of endorsements. uh, but I'm running to give the working people a voice in Raleigh uh, right now. Uh, we've got a city council that's run by the you know basically run by the development industry who have uh, donated all that money to the current council.
3: and uh, we the workers need a voice, because without workers you don't have
4: got a lot out of that. Um, so uh, uh, during these kind of races, uh, uh, there are a lot of words brought up and just in general, a lot of kind of buzzwords around things that candidates will often say. How would you say you um, differentiate what you're trying to achieve what, what, what the model you're trying to set for um, other people uh, from maybe some other candidates who are running even similar platforms to your own
2: well I mean uh, let me try to answer this correctly um, I mean make no a I'm a socialist I'm a leftist uh, I, I I'm not I'm not what conservatives would think of as a Democrat right because they tend to call Democrats socialists they obviously I haven't read a lot of theory but um <laughs> i think that uh what would differentiate me i guess i mean there are a lot of good candidates that are running now that i don't think that there are a lot less space between us but i'm the only as far as i know i'm the only socialist that has run for um city council in raleigh as far back as i can find so it's been 100 years anyway um i would say that um uh, was it i'm not focused on the developer class, and I'm not focused on the money and interest because th- they already have a seat; at, they own the table. They 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 have a seat at the table. And what we don't have in the city is is a, a workers like you know ground level workers uh, on the city council. And 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 most everybody's pretty well to do, and I'm most certainly not. So uh, I mean, which presents challenges in running for city council. But in order to actually uh, I think succeed as a city is we need to put the focus on the workers and on the the, the, the poor and people that are traditionally uh, held back uh, and so I'm unapologetic, I'm not going to dance around it, I'm not going to compromise my issues I will, people accuse me of being a socialist and I will say I'm a socialist uh, um, it's not really I don't, it's, it, I don't think it's a scary word you know I mean Raleigh has never been an ideal city. I like the city. It took me a little while uh, coming from a very very small town in Western North Carolina. It was it was it was an adjustment, but there was a time that Raleigh had the balance. It it, it was enough of a city to where you could see good music and you could find a place to live, but it wasn't too expensive like. I lived, mm-hmm. In in the 90s, I lived in university apartments off of Avon Ferry. I, I guess they're still there. I was paying $400 a month for a two-bedroom townhouse and was angry that they raised my rent to 425 Like, I thought it was unconscionable that they would do that, uh, which is crazy now, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've had car payments that are about that, right, you know? Um, but... um uh, and that was the the beauty of of Raleigh at the time. It had a really good music scene. Uh, there was a lot of good stuff that you that you could go to that was interesting and quirky, and it and it wasn't expensive. It wasn't super posh and bourgeois, right? It was, I mean, there was like legit stuff that was happening that you could happen mm-hmm. no matter who you were and what and what area you were, and you know it's not that there weren't problems there certainly were but like it still felt like a city that was for the people that were here Mm -hmm. like it made space for the students um you know it had people that were you know traditionally not treated very well and are still not treated very well today it had its problems with its police and 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 you know police violence but when it came down to it um you know there was there was always a niche that people could find to where they, they could mm-hmm. be more fulfilling and right now the problem is is that that if unless you're fairly wealthy it's really kind of hard to find that niche like if you like around the college right now maybe there's places that are re- relatively affordable now but just wait until. Wait until they get that TOD through there and wait until they, you know, put all that 80% AMI housing and tear down all the naturally occurring affordable housing. And then, you know, you're if you're a student, you're basically going to have to live on campus or, you know, or if you're a local commute from home, if you want to be able to live here, unless you're, you know, in on a trust fund or something,
1: mm-hmm. uh, um, the city loses from. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot less characterization of it. Right. It's crazy that people are paying nine hundred dollars to rent a room nine or at a at a floor at a, at a base level people are paying that much to live on off of Hillsboro, um and not get a parking spot with it either what's your um what's your like raleigh cred as a worker as a someone who's lived has lived in Raleigh, how long have you been in raleigh what makes this your city and why do you care so much about it
2: i moved uh to raleigh in 1992 to come here to college uh i ran out of money so i stopped going to college um i started working in hotels with the uh um idea that i was gonna save up money and come back to college uh i couldn't get student loans because of my parents income even though my parents were not contributing to it but and i just didn't want to take on the extra debt it required to get a, you know, a, a student loan, because the mm-hmm. they were experimenting with privatization and stuff. And I'm glad I got out of that. And then, uh, and then I got married and had a, I had a stepchild and and had to focus on work because I couldn't do both. Um, but I worked in the hotel business for 25 years. Um, uh, most of that time I was doing front desk, night audit, that kind of stuff, like guest facing stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh. Some housekeeping, some night housemen, that kind of stuff. I did that for several years. I was, I did, I was uh, assistant manager at a couple of properties. Don't like managing it, people necessarily that much in a business thing, Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 I worked for Marriotts, and Marriotts are really really anti-union so like the, it was it was just awkward it, it just caused awkward conversations mm-hmm. when like i would walk into the gm's office and they would all cover their work and stuff and i'd be like what are y'all doing and they were like yeah it's anti-union and i was like okay um and then i went into accounting but i've been uh, an activist in raleigh since 2011 with occupy raleigh that's what started my path to, to radicalization i guess um I participated in the, I was uh, the policy chair of the Old Wake County Progressive Democrats for five years. In 2016, I pretty much gave up on the Democrats being able to do anything other than try to tokenize people. And uh, no offense, there are great Democrats out there. I'm not saying that if you are a Democrat that I think that you're a sellout. I I just think that the National Party is not really doing anything that's going to help the people. Um and and so I joined the Socialist Party because I happened upon the uh, platform of the uh, Mimi Celtistic Angela Walker ticket. Uh, it was very good. It was very good. So I joined the local party. I realized they had a local here. Um, and you know, I was still involved in uh, you know, I try to show up and counter white supremacists. I you know, I've been trying to be involved on the ground with uh, you know, any groups that'll have me when I have time to do it. And uh, as far as cred, I don't know. I don't know what gives one cred. I mean, I've been active as an activist. I've been an activist for
1: living here, caring. Years. That's what I, that's more yeah. so what I meant. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's-
2: uh, how do you say you've
4: seen Raleigh change in that time? You've been here for a while.
2: Oh, Raleigh has, has definitely got more expensive since then. Uh, I tell you, I mean, and it looks different. Like. And it blows me away every time I come here to NC State because uh, Hillsborough Street is barely recognizable. I mean, they've replaced a lot of stuff with big boxy, square buildings, and and there's I mean, not to say that I'm gonna be, be here and rep for like old music venues that don't exist anymore, but at least there was we will music. <laughs> I mean, say what you want. About. WKNC mourns them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I bet they do. Because you could used to there used to be several places where you could see good music on Ellsboro or go to dance, or, or or do anything. And 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 maybe they're there, and I just don't know about. Them. There are like, aren't. I mean that that was part of, when I was in college. That's what we did. We went to see shows on weekends. You know, we would go to uh, sometimes we'd go downtown to the Berkeley, but uh, we would go to the garage, which isn't there anymore. That was I think where Panana Bob's is maybe. Um, you know, and I don't what was the, the name of the place that was across from Cup of Joe. I don't know. They were there for a while. Kings was there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Kings was good. And I went there downtown when they were downtown as well. Um, I mean, and, and there were, you know, clubs like the 5 you could go. They had an 80s night, they had a Dollar Beer night. Like, I don't want to encourage drinking if you don't have to, but the eighties was a good era for dancing because in the eighties, people didn't know how to dance. So if you can't dance and it's a good place where it, it's a good fit, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and Fallout shelter, uh, which closed down about the first year I was here was a good place to see like hardcore shows and punk shows. And they also had a dance night as well. So.
5: My name is Jonathan Melton. I'm currently one of the at-large Raleigh City Council members. I'm running for re-election, so I will be on the ballot. Early voting starts October 20th. Election day is November 8th. I am a Democrat. I've been endorsed by the Wake County Democratic Party, Equality North Carolina, the North Carolina AFL-CIO, labor unions, um, I'm forgetting some endorsements, a bunch of national progressive organizations and a few others. They're all on my website. Okay. Um, what's the AFL-CIO? It's a bunch of labor unions, Association of Labor Unions, union workers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, How's your outreach been? How's the campaign been? It's been good. This is my second time running. I ran in 2019 as a first-time candidate. Um, I'm not really changing my strategy much. I'm not taking anything for granted. I'm running as though I'm an outsider trying to get a seat and not an incumbent. So um, I think my outreach has been good. I try to meet people where they are. That's kind of how I govern too, is if I get a request for a meeting, I'll meet you anytime, place, whether we agree or not. And I, I kind of apply that same approach to, to campaigning as well. Um,
1: what have you done? I, I know there's a lot of reasons that the, um I know there's a there's a lot of the reasons there's a lot of reasons that um, city council um, I don't want to use the for lack of a better terminology extended their term mm-hmm. um, what have, how have you guys used that time.
5: Well, the issue with the election was not something we expected. I kind of look at it as another unprecedented challenge that was thrown on our laps after we were elected with COVID, with rioting and social justice issues, and then the census delay. So there was no way an election was going to happen fall of 2021. So the only options were the midterm, sorry, the primary election in 2022, the primary election or the Mm -hmm. general midterm election. So those are the only two options that any city had and at the time it wasn't clear if the primary election was going to happen when it was supposed to happen anyway it turns out it didn't it got moved from march to may for me i thought it was important for voters to have certainty of when the election was going to occur and so for that reason i voted to ask the legislature to put our election on the general election ballot which it will be on november 8th we also kind of early on into our term appointed a study group to look at some of these issues The structure of Raleigh's government hasn't changed since the 1970s as well. Mm -hmm. We've grown a lot. So we had a study group look at should council be paid more? Um, Should there be an increase in council size? Should the terms go from two years to four years? Should there be staggered terms? Should the elections move from odd year elections to even year elections? They held a public process on that, and they recommended moving to even year general elections too. Turnout typically in the odd year was abysmal. Or Yeah. Um, as far as what we've done over the past year, it kind of all bleeds together since 2019. <laughs> well, one thing over the past year is we did get the social district implemented downtown. So that's sort of the open container area downtown. <laughs> we did that. Um, we've been. How did you all decide um, just the boundaries for that? We worked with the Downtown Raleigh Alliance, which is one of our business alliances. So they actually are sort of uh, their own independent agency with their own sort of tax revenue income. And they they do a bunch of stuff downtown. They program downtown. They've got some public safety ambassadors, some social workers, and they also work with the business and residential community. So they did, they ran point all that engagement. Mm -hmm. They brought to us the options. um, And we're doing it right now as a pilot. And the pilot we're trying to focus mostly centered on Fayetteville Street corridor because Mm -hmm. that's been, quite frankly, the hardest to come back from COVID. Yeah. A little bit of the warehouse district is included, but I'm hoping after this pilot, when the data and feedback comes back, if we're looking to make tweaks to hours of the day or location that we'll be able to expand it or put it in, in another place. So that mm-hmm. was a big thing that we've done this year. You know, I post updates to my website I after every meeting, those. and so if I could scroll <laughs> through those. But in general, what we've done this term is a lot of zoning reform, trying to eliminate exclusionary zoning, trying to allow more, different, more types of housing to be built in different places continuing to invest in transit, trying to increase and implement frequency of buses pursuant to the Wake County Transit Plan. We brought back scooters, short-term rentals.
1: Welcome back to WKNC 88.1 FM, h Raleigh. I'm your host, Her Majesty, joined by my guest today, James Bledsoe, who is running for the at-large seat on Raleigh City Council. Uh, who are you?
6: What is your political affiliation?
1: And what are some of your endorsements?
6: Hi everybody. Uh, My name is James Bledsoe. I'm running for Raleigh city council at large. Uh, My political affiliation is unaffiliated. Uh, Currently my endorsements are the wake GOP, the wake libertarian party, and also the Raleigh police protective association. How's your outreach been? And how's the campaign been? Uh, Outreach has been really, really good. I've gotten, uh, more interviews, more requests for signs, more donations than I did in the uh, previous two campaigns. Uh, so far, everything's going excellent. Um, what's your history with Raleigh? Uh, moved here in 2013 from Florida. Uh, only lived there for about three years. Um, and that's mainly because I got out of the Army or active duty side in 2009. Uh, switched over to the Reserves. Uh, didn't like Florida too much, so I came up here to Raleigh. Fell in love with it immediately. Like in the middle of winter, kind of fell in love with it. Like it was be- <laughs> more beautiful than Florida, in my opinion, at the time. Uh, You know, I love the trees. I love going to every single state park and living in Raleigh was like the perfect choice choice for me. Housing was cheap at the time. There was plenty of opportunity. I could go. There was a hundred state parks, you know, within driving distance Mm -hmm. and the beach is right there. So, I mean, I love Raleigh. I've lived here ever since I've moved around to different apartments and then finally had my house built in Southeast Raleigh in 2016. Been here ever since.
3: I'm Ann Franklin. Uh, I'm a Democrat. I was not endorsed by Democrats this round, but I've been a very active Democrat for a long time. Um, I was endorsed by the Sierra Club and the um, AFL-CIO and by the Raleigh-Wake Citizens Association. That's a group um, focused in southeast Raleigh, but with a, a, a countywide reach.
1: Uh, Tell me a little bit more about your background and why you decided to run again.
3: Yeah. Well, I served on city council a very long time ago. um, And I feel like the current group has gotten a little off track. I think that with the kind of challenges that we have in our community, we're going to need all the help we can get. And you get that by making yourself available to citizens a lot and reaching out and um, they eliminated one of the vehicles for doing that the CACs uh, and have not replaced it with anything. I, I know covid has been a challenge but that's made all of us sort of tune up and realize we can communicate in some new ways. And um so I'm I'm running because there'll be at least three new people on the council, maybe more, and I think because of my experience I'll be able to help get things done. We've got a lot on our plate locally.
1: Where the CACs kind of your turning point, you're kind of like, where you were like, oh, I need to run again? Or?
3: I think the turning point for me was when I began to hear as much negativity about the existing council as I was hearing. I really don't know that I'm going to have much to say about what happens at the state or national level, but I am absolutely clear that trust in our local government is very important. And when I saw that slipping and people asking questions about the basics of our local government and people who've been involved in helping build this community, I thought we need to get things back on track. Um, We've been a pretty nonpartisan place here when it comes to local government. And there's so much partisan politics that slips us into a very um, paralytic state. And I just can't see that at the local level. We've just got too much to do.
1: Um, How has your outreach been and how's the campaign been?
3: Oh, I've enjoyed it immensely. It's very hard work. (laughs) Um, But you get reminded of all the connections that you've made as you've been in the community. And people are willing to help or they're willing to tell you that they can't or, (laughs) you know, they want you to do something about something in particular. Um, So... It's, um, it's been an excellent period of time for me. I'm, I'm glad that I decided. I, I did counsel with a few people before I decided to do it, um, but I've had great support.
1: Then, after I asked them to introduce themselves as well as give a lot of their information, I asked them where their campaign finances were from and also their interpretation of how city council works. Hey.
4: Thank you. And uh, you <laughs> mentioned at large uh, for the end the MNC, What exactly does that mean in terms of the city council? Oh,
2: sorry. Uh, at large is, um, represents the whole city. We have uh, f- five district seats and two at large seats. If you want to know the truth, I would get rid of the at large seats just because I think they're less representative. There's a higher, le- it, it, it's harder to get elected in an at large seat because you're having to talk to. Five times as six times as many people but uh, as of right now I think that uh, I think it was the best decision Uh, I ran in 2019 in District A which is probably the bougiest district of the city Uh, there are a few working class neighborhoods I'm from one Um, I got 10% of the vote raised under $1,000 and uh, so there are people out there that uh, are interested in having representation for the non-wealthy.
1: Um, I feel like a lot of people don't really understand the the setup, especially because everywhere you go, it's a little bit different. Um, but what kind of powers do you as a would you as a city council person have?
2: Well, the city council uh, it, it's it's bounded by a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, Raleigh has a city manager form of government, where you have a city manager that runs the day-to-day and a staff that is hired by the city to do stuff. Uh, and then the uh, city council uh, are the ones that set policy. So uh, uh, as far as that goes, uh, we have latitude in zoning. We approve zoning cases. Uh, we have uh, the latitude on what we want the city to look at and how we want what we want to research and what we can do to get everything um you know the way hopefully that benefits the people of raleigh Uh, we're also bounded by another thing and that we are a Dillon rule state which means that uh the general assembly has some pretty tight limits on what what a municipal government can do or even a county government can do um and and since 2010 we've had a pretty heart ride general assembly so they've taken away powers that were there before they've uh, they flattened the uh, income tax they uh they in 2019 passed i think it was 2019 they passed the law that says that all property taxes must be uniform which is frustrating um and it and they also don't allow inclusionary zoning which means in order for people to be rezoned into a different Mm -hmm. development type like if you want to go from a if you're zoned at residential four which means you can get four houses on Mm -hmm. per acre um and you want to change it to like 20 stories like you're asking a favor of the city council to change the zoning right you can ask for conditions but you, you can't require conditions before the rezoning that involve like affordable housing levels and stuff like that so um That being said some pressure needs to be put on the general assembly to change those laws like and i think personally one thing the city council could do is just halt all rezoning until such time as uh, the general assembly will uh, negotiate Uh, because we are the capital city right i mean Mm -hmm. and you know we should lead on this we shouldn't leave it to other cities to try to you know to fight the general assembly to get what we need to run our city right it's you know, the General Assembly are from all over. <laughs> so why should somebody from Transylvania County have a say in how Wake County or the City of Raleigh runs anything, you know? Um I hope that was clear. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um
1: what powers as do you have as a city council person and what can you as a city council person do? It's a good question.
5: Uh I think a lot of folks don't understand how local government works, even though it's the government's really closest to the people. A lot of focus gets put on state and national politics. Uh, Local government, at least in Raleigh, we have a part-time mayor and council and a full-time city staff. It's really structured like a nonprofit. The city council is the board of directors, and the city manager is really like the CEO in charge of personnel. So as city council, we set big policy. We approve the budget. We set policy directives. Um, We get to do rezonings, things like that. Uh, what can you as a city council person do?
3: Well, council, in our case, is made up of eight people. And we interact with our staffs. We have a city manager and everybody reports to that manager. We have a clerk and an attorney. But primarily, if we're going to do programs, um, we work with the city manager's office. and. We can get a lot done in a in a pretty concise period of time if we let individual council people take a leadership. Uh, it, it doesn't work as well if you expect everything to be led by one person. And um, I was fortunate to serve under a mayor that uh, if a good idea came around, um, he backed us up if we could work it out with staff and could work out the details. So what you can do depends on uh, having a good idea that 's been researched and has some people and and uh, some some uh, facts behind it, and then you work with your staff to see if it 's something that can can actually practically can be done and then you work across the lines, you talk to all your other council members and your mayor, and you see how it fits and um, so that's that 's one piece i 'll tell you a piece that 's interesting me a lot now is how we can get citizens involved in the budget process early. As it is now, council gets the budget in April. It's a big fat book. And what you're left with is trying to sort where those small pieces are that where you might make a difference. So if you really want to change uh, wages or working conditions or um, where the city makes investments, I believe we have to get started at that really early. And there are communities that are doing sort of participatory budgeting. I think there's some tools for that. I think uh, that the university and university students uh, would take an interest in how we chart going forward and then we see if our resources uh, are going to match it and where we might need to shift a little bit. Raleigh is very fortunate. We are a thriving community. Now, <laughs> we're also growing, and so we're choking on some of that growth. So we've got a lot of decisions to make that relate to growth and housing uh, and our environment. But fundamentally, I believe that citizens can sort through those things and find out where the balance is. And that's the work of local government that I really, really like. Uh, it's not calling people's names. It's not, you know, standing up and shouting at each other. It's getting to the hard work of figuring out how you're going to spend the public resources and if the public is capable of providing the resources that you need.
1: Uh, what are the powers of the city council?
3: Well, we, we can hire the city manager and the uh, city clerk and the city attorney we don't hire any other workers.
1: What does the city clerk do?
3: Keeps track of all the minutes of all the meetings of all the the public records. Um and there are many many mm-hmm. layers of public record keeping. Uh so the council can in addition to hiring those people who do and then they hire other people to do large amounts of work. Um they make council makes policies. It listens to its um, advisory groups when it comes to plans that are to be endorsed or programs to be endorsed. Uh, we have a very, very active group of um, uh, advisory groups. And our, um, our parks board, for instance, has worked really, really hard to bring forth a parks bond. And the council takes a look at that, but they depend heavily on the work of advisory groups. Council also has, in my opinion, a responsibility to be out in the community a lot so that they can be listening well and they can be hearing really what they need to know about where people's needs are, what people are willing to do, you know, where their resources are, and how we can find uh, ways to keep going forward. That's a big job. It's an ongoing, don't call me after 10.30 at night, but other than that, be completely available kind of a job.
1: Yeah. Um, who are your largest donors? Who are my largest donors? Or who are your donors? How, are you, how is the campaign funding getting funded?
5: All sorts of sources. I ran in 19 as a first time candidate. I didn't know any other city elected officials. I didn't know developers. I didn't know anybody who typically supports um, city races. I put my message out there and I got a lot of support from a lot of places. I I have raised a lot of money. Um, Some of the endorsements I've got, they come with contributions. Um, I'm a lawyer, so I have lawyer friends. They Mm -hmm. contribute, my friends, my family. I was actually looking at this the other day and my average contribution is like $200. But you know, you can, t- you can accept a contribution all the way up to 5600 So I get some 5600 contributions and I get some $25 contributions. So I'll take it from any source, quite frankly. The alternative, we have no public financing for city council races. And so the alternative is you self-fund and I don't have the means to do that. And I also don't think we want the only people running for office to be the ones who have the means and ability to self-fund their own campaigns.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: I agree. Um, where do
1: you
6: get most of your campaign funds? Uh, most of my campaign front funds are from my VA disability checks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like to do a lot of self-funding, uh, but I do have a lot of just private, you know, citizens. I mean, citizens of Raleigh that are donating, say, twenty dollars here, fifty dollars there. Uh, no major donations above five hundred dollars, but just a lot of citizens that are, you know, contributing to me. Um, where does a lot of your campaign finance
1: come from?
3: Oh, well, I have a goal of 400 people giving $100. And we're uh, well past 200. We're not quite at 300. So um, I've had some people give $2,000 checks, a few. um, But mostly it's under that, and it's the smaller contributions that I'm looking for and that add up.
0: For the next segment on the WKNC Eye on the Triangle election special, Owen Martin asked the candidates about healthcare and reproductive rights.
1: Yeah. Um, but just going on, um, will you make Raleigh a safe place for reproductive rights, or do your best too? Oh
2: yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think reproductive rights is it's people. There are people that try to turn it into specifically a woman's issue or specifically a white woman's issue but like reproductive health goes far for i mean it, it it touches on trans issues it touches on lgbt issues in general uh and, and and especially for you know people that aren't and like it needs to be protected because it's health care and healthcare. care is a human right it's a human right and when it comes down to it uh, if you don't have bodily autonomy, if you don't have autonomy, if you don't have control of what happens in your body, what kind of what kind of control do you have at all? Yeah. Right? Uh, I think if the, the the city under the current law can do certain things, we could, like Charlotte has, and issue a quiet zone or a noise ordinance around there. Uh, the trick is finding a way to enforce that without bringing in the police because the police mm-hmm. can decide with the antis. Um, but it might be worth a, a look at. Trying to find city staff to enforce that, hiring people have the city hire and enforce like the noise ordinances and Mm -hmm. and work with the uh, with the clinics to see what they need from the city in order to protect it. Another thing you could do is on the have on the city webpage if they design it in a way where it's pretty easy to go through, which I'm hoping happens in the future, and I will try to make it happen in the future. Mm -hmm. um, Is 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 have a place where you can look if you're interested in getting any kind of reproductive health whether it's you know hormones or whether it's uh you know an abortion or 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 any of that where you can search on the city sites and the city will list all places that call themselves a reproductive health clinics but it will tell them which ones are aspirational crisis pregnancy centers you know these people aren't doctors they're not trying to help you. They are trying to prevent you from getting an abortion. They're trying
1: to hand you a Bible.
2: Right. And then and then have a list of the people that actually do it and make it easily accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, it's just pointing in the people at the wrong and, and pointing people in the, in, the, in the right direction. Now, nobody should if nobody can say what happens in my body being a cis white male, then why should they why should I have control over anybody else's body, regardless of what that is? You know, people talk about freedom and throw flags around and complain about wearing masks and all this kind of weird stuff that they get caught on. But at the same time, the conservative ethics is like, you know, we need to control women's bodies. And that just doesn't make sense considering everything else. I think. Mm-hmm.
4: For sure. Uh, accessibility is, of course, a, a really uh, important thing as someone who's benefited from Planned Parenthood's hormone um, availability. That's that's really cool that, that that's a, a focus. Um,
1: um, so obviously with the, um, or I don't know, but Roe v. Wade is a big issue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's being, and it being overturned. Um, what are your plans to make Raleigh a safe space for reproductive rights in a post Roe world?
5: Yeah. So we're a bit challenged in Raleigh. We're a Dillon state. So we only have the authority that the state government gives to us. One thing I would like to do Immediately is buffer zones around our abortion and healthcare clinics. I think that would be extremely important. Um, Norris ordinance is buffer zones. So when folks are making this healthcare decision, which is a healthcare decision, that they're not being heckled and harassed and harmed by folks who are trying to involve themselves in a woman and her family or just the woman's private health decision.
1: Um, Roe v. Wade is a very contentious issue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your
6: plans to make Raleigh a safe space for reproductive rights? Well, that's, I mean, folks have been barking up that tree, especially with Raleigh before the pandemic hit. Raleigh does not have a say in that whatsoever. Again, that's powers bestowed on it by the state. And we can't make it, make it a sanctuary because we just don't have that legal authority to, as far as I'm aware. Um, I've spoken to some lawyers about it. Where but you can say, try. You can try, but I mean, that's virtue signaling. I hate virtue signaling. I really I don't really think don't. it's trying if you
1: sign a law and then the state challenges you and then the right. city of Raleigh fights to maintain its own
6: rights. Okay, but that's more tax dollars that are being spent to maintain something that is currently illegal for us to do. Like you can push something out there, but it's easier to do if it's legal. If you go before the General Assembly or the Senate, the House, saying, hey, we want to do this. Please bestow us the power to do so. That's easier to do than to get into a long-standing legal battle where the Supreme Court of North Carolina can just slap us down immediately, where it's just gone. Where they said, "Oh, you tried to do this? Well, great. Now all these things that you just put in place, this money that you just spent, gone." So that that's like the big hand slapping the other one. I want to go about things the right way. I don't want to be, you know, sneaky, underhanded. I don't want to try and be um, dishonest about the way I want to go in things. I want everything to be out there in the open, transparent. Uh, unfortunately, Raleigh doesn't have that power, and even if I wanted to fight for it or didn't want to fight for it, it has there has to be power in place to do so. Because if I attempt to even push for it, the Raleigh, you know, lawyers are going to sit the Raleigh city council lawyers are going to say, Hey, you can't do that. We don't have a leg to stand on. So come up with a different way to do it. And that, you know, after that, I'm still just tying up city resources, city time, you know, more time for people to come before council or more work that could be done on any other projects to be done. So. Would you be in favor of increasing just overall
1: mental health services, both for the, cause I mean I think that they could be focused that certain parts of it could be focused towards veterans and some of it um could be focused towards um other first responders
6: but do you think it would be better serve the community to just make an overall push uh, an overall push for mental health awareness and a response in for the community and the city of Raleigh Mhm yeah certainly uh, there's certainly some expansion that needs to be done um and a lot of corrective work that needs to happen you know since the 1960s and you know 1980s but also if we can get grants or if we can get you know any sort of federal money to come down and uh, you know help us push for mental health awareness but also uh, training that can be undertaken then certainly I'd love to see that. Um, How should
1: Raleigh address public health and mental health care services?
3: Well as you know and In Wake County and in North Carolina, the counties have primary responsibility for health Mm -hmm. services, but I'm encouraged that in recent years, the city has recognized that the interactions with not just our police, but with um, other public agencies mean that we've got to be really tuned up to uh, mental health issues for all of our citizens. We have people whom we may see and we may instantly recognize that they've got a health issue, but... What is more hidden are the families who have uh, one or more persons who have mental health challenges, and they deal with them every single day, and they may not come to public attention. So I think we don't wait until bad things happen. We've got to be in front. We've got to get really closely acquainted with our communities and encourage neighborhoods to get really acquainted with who their neighbors are. Um, and do all we can to create those connections, support families who have somebody who's ill with any 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 range of illnesses um, We deserve to be a healthy place doesn 't just happen. We think that the beautiful blue skies um and the day like today was beautiful and clear might be enough for some, but it's not enough for most. Most of us need connection with other people. Sometimes we need resources, and we need public officials that are willing to understand that solutions are not only going to be municipal. They're going to require collaboration and connections to other parts of government, other parts of the community, um, We care a lot about this. I serve on the uh, Dix Park Conservancy Board, and as you know, um, Dix Park was the site of what was originally an an insane asylum. (laughs) There's been a need for residential care for persons with mental illnesses, sometimes short-term, sometimes very long-term, and that got snatched away from us. The state legislature moved it, and so that means... Uh, While there are some services that have filled in, the fundamental institution was taken away. Now, it has become a park. We're glad for that. We'd rather have that instead of a development, private development there. But nevertheless, I think our community still suffers by not having that residential opportunity for, for persons with mental illness. Uh,
1: Roe v. Wade is a big issue right now. What are your plans to make Raleigh a safe space for reproductive rights?
3: We have got to do everything we can think of to make it possible for people to come and get those services and not be harassed. Both the people who need the services and the public, the um, health service workers who work there. Our schools have had safe zones, and I would have to explore with our attorney whether that's an opportunity for Raleigh or not, but demonstrations can be held at some distance from an actual clinic. People can still be heard, but they should not be allowed to interrupt people's access to health services. I think... You know, if we saw on all the health issues, if we saw that kind of blocking of, of basic services, more people would be alarmed. But when you have to bring a pregnancy to a close or you need to be sure that your health supports a pregnancy, these are very private thoughts and conversations. And so we, we don't want to require that people lay all of that out, all of their needs or all of their thinking. We just want to be sure that when they confer with their doctors and their healthcare professionals that they can be advised and take advantage of those opportunities. We hope to hold on to them. I think it's very critical.
0: And for the last segment of today's episode, Owen Martin asked the candidates about their plans for transportation.
1: What differentiates your um, public transit um, plan from other candidates running? Cause it's on almost everyone's um, platform.
2: Well, the thing is, is right now we're building on, on uh, they're putting a lot of hope in this uh, bus rapid transit right? Uh, Which I I certainly don't oppose bus rapid transit. The problem is, is when they're zoning the transit overlay districts, they're pushing people out and they're the people they're pushing out are the people that are more likely to ride buses. Uh, But that's what they, that's what eventually they need to do is they need to make it more, they need to make it timelier and more cost effective to actually, actually do public mass transit. Like, I mean, right now, I live four miles from work. I could walk it in two hours. I could drive it in ten minutes. I could take a bus and get there in two hours. And that was before they revised the schedule. Mm -hmm. I think what they need to do is they need to put money into hiring bus drivers uh, and hiring enough bus drivers and paying them enough to for them to want to stay, so they can live in the city. Because then we need to increase the bus. We need to. the capacity of the buses but we need to do it based on ridership surveys who's going to ride the bus that's where you start right the, the problem with charlotte and i think a, a large part of the problem with the, like the eastern line of the, the the brt that they're doing now is uh, that um you know they're, they're building it in rapidly gentrifying areas and i'm not saying that wealthy people don't ride the bus but they don't ride it as much as workers do or, or other people right mm-hmm. um so they're going to they're gonna build this thing and then push out the people that are going to use it. So it, it, it's going to look like it was a terrible idea. But, you know, I don't have anything against express buses. I mean, that's fine. But what we need to be concerned about is getting more buses. We need uh, to get it, more buses on the... I just think
1: Raleigh's transportation plan um, that goes out to 2055 should have more than just buses on it, which it currently does.
2: Right. I mean, they're talking about light rail and... I don't have, I'd, light rail is a good idea if we can afford it. I think that uh, it's a good idea, but um, the one thing I want to avoid is like, we'll just put everybody on Lime scooters and running around just because that's a very, like walkable communities is a, a decent idea, but, but the way they're presented is walkable to who, right? Uh,
1: what, differenti- what differentiates your um, transit and public transportation platform?
6: Um, I want to make sure that the disabled have a say. Um, I know that uh, council is pushing for bike lanes everywhere. You know, I used to bike ride all over the place. However, after my last deployment, it became a little bit more difficult for me to bike around. Um, It became a little bit too stressful for my hips and my back. So, I mean, I rely on my car a lot. And there's a lot of businesses that would like to see bike lanes, but they want them to be put in in a smarter way so maybe not in front of their store or maybe use cars as the barrier or the stanchion between you know the traffic and the bike lane itself you know that little nice little off but i want to see bike lanes i want to see the brt come in but i want to see us do it smart and I'm not hurt businesses downtown because they are hurting right now a lot of the walk-up traffic that was in place is, isn't there anymore Um, A lot of people are still moving downtown, mind you, because we do have a housing crunch right now and people are moving there. I mean, moving into downtown, but the walking traffic is just not the same downtown as it was before. But, you know, I'm all for more transit options, but I'm going to have to rely on my car and so are a lot of other people. Uh, When
1: you say that small businesses aren't wanting bike lanes in front of their
6: buildings, where would they, where else would they be? So the bike lanes can be, off of the main corridors. When I think, uh, as an engineer, when I think of a secondary or tertiary means of transportation, I don't want to put it on the main road. I want to put it on, you know, the secondary road. Like, so, say, Person Street. Maybe don't have the bike lane there. Maybe put it on the adjacent road going through there where there's a lot less traffic, where parking's not more um, required. So you can alleviate the issue of bicyclists and car traffic interacting in a negative way by putting them on a less driven street. And you can have the parking spaces still available for, let's just say the pizza joint or on Person Street or the hot dog stand off of, I mean, not, not hot dog stand, but the hot dog business off of uh, Morgan Street. Those parking spaces are were taken away during the pandemic and they had no say in it whatsoever. And those two places, for example, they rely on people to drive up and leave within five minutes, say, pick up their orders and go. Now that these bike lanes are in place in the area that they are, it's taken away from their business and it's certainly going to cut into them operating and how many people they can employ. Um, are you familiar Are you familiar with microtransit? Mm, I can't say I've heard that
1: term before. Okay. So it's... Essentially, a it, it's more of um, transit oriented towards people with disabilities. Okay. And it's sort of a, more of a municipal um, almost version of Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. sort of a, just a van that is okay. called. Yeah.
6: Okay, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So the uh, Go Raleigh, mm-hmm. and Go Wake, Go Triangle. Those, mm-hmm. um, my girlfriend's mother uses that to get around to go to say hospital visits. Um, One thing that the disabled don't want to do is give up their independence. That means being able to drive themselves somewhere, being able to get to wherever they're going. Um, And I don't want to take that away. I mean, I certainly want to be able to drive downtown, park, get out of my vehicle, and go to the business and leave. I don't want to have to be reliant on a public service, I mean, a public transportation to get there. I want that option to be available for people, but I myself don't want to be reliant on that. I want to be able to get up and go whenever I want to that's my independence and I want everyone to have that you know whether you're you know as fit as a fiddle or you're, you know you're slightly broken like I am I want you to be able to, to transit the way that you want to you know whether that's scooters or microtransit or public transit
1: um a lot of um candidates are very concerned with transit and public um transportation how does your platform um differ
3: Well, I I don't think any of us has all the answers, and I think we're all pretty supportive of the direction that the city has been taking on bus rapid transit. Um, Frequency of service is what makes transit service attractive enough for ordinary people to use all the time. And we're a long way from that kind of frequent service. We will have it when we get the bus rapid transit on. Uh, start with one line, then we'll add and, and keep getting it. I've worked in this realm for a long time. I've worked uh, at Triangle J Council of Governments for about um, five years on the regional rideshare program, so carpooling and vanpooling. Um, and that remains still a part of how People get around, particularly if they're going long distances. Um, and Many people are traveling and commuting long distances. So uh, some years ago, I guess it's about six, we had a transit referendum and citizens of Wake County supported a tax so that we can add to our transit services. We would like everything to be done at once, but it doesn't happen that way. And when you have federal partners and state partners, it can be even slower. Uh, So I'm a strong supporter. There's a a land use side to it. I don't think that we've had enough work on how to incorporate the kind of densities that we need uh, that support transit and provide that service for, for people. I think we need a lot more not just talk, but let's get out some Legos or some models so we can start looking at what the proportions are. What's the difference if you, if you live in a two-story house and they want to put a five-story something right next to you? And it might be exactly the right thing, or it might not be. <laughs> so to get to the actual locations and think through the scale, I think we can come up with the land use side that will complement uh, public transit. I have said... Um, and I will continue to work on this, that what, what we need, because we've got some areas that are way underdeveloped. I go out Capitol Boulevard all the time. I'm out New Bern Avenue. They're profoundly auto-oriented and they're big flat open spaces. And so I see some whole brand new communities and those communities can be a mix of um, of, of income for housing, but they've got to have access to frequent transit and they've got to have access to green space. If you put those, those three things together consistently, um, then you're going to build in a sort of quality of life that uh, we think is a match for the sort of densities that, that we see coming. So th- that's, that's the work that excites me a lot. I'm hoping to be working directly on, on all of that. Um, Looking forward to that part and hope that, and you know, we're going to need students. We're going to need a lot of people with the expertise um, and who want transit to get in on how to make it all work. So we're going to need a lot of NC State students, both people, students and, and graduates.
0: Well, that brings to a conclusion the WKNC Eye on the Triangle Election Special. Due to the limited time, we weren't able to air live the full extent of these interviews. Two larger segments discussing the candidates' stances on housing, zoning, CACs, and food desert, as well as police, climate, the role of students, and the candidates' closing statements. These segments will be released on the Eye on the Triangle podcast. The podcast is available through wknc.org podcast or whatever streaming platform you use for your podcast. I want to thank WKNC content creator Owen Martin and Raleigh City Council at Large candidates Joshua Bradley, Jonathan Melton, James Bledsoe, and Anne Franklin for their time. I hope everyone has a lovely rest of their week and makes time to vote this Tuesday, November 8th. Thank you. Music for today's episode has been Blackest Crow by Track Tribe, licensed under the YouTube Audio Library.